I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to title my comments this morning, Seeing Past Your Weaknesses and Flaws. God knows that some of us have some. Some of you don't, but <laughs> probably everybody here has a weakness of some sort in some area, or there are flaws in your life. Maybe we know it or maybe you know it, but nobody came to the Lord without need for some work being done in your life. God didn't call perfect people to assemble before him to worship him. He called common, ordinary people. Not everybody would come. You did. And he has a word for you. Every time you listen, every time you come to hear the word of the Lord, he has something for you that will affect those weaknesses and flaws if you listen. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we had the mind of Christ. Flaws, weaknesses, the little things that seem to, as the Bible says, beset us or hold us back or hinder us or in some way prevent us from grasping the things that God has or from doing the things that God says we have. And there's nobody, again, who isn't affected by weaknesses. But the problem is we have, before we come to Christ, most people resign themselves to the power of those weaknesses or to the power of those flaws. And you come to Christ and the things that are freely given to you that he said in verse 12 that will be revealed to you, they are so far above what you can accept that you say to yourself, that could never be. I could never do all things through Christ. I'm not the type. I'm not a person who is like that. You know, one of my weaknesses is I get nervous in front of people or I'm shy and I don't know how to conduct. I'm best in a crowd. I'm not good at this alone stuff. You know, in the Sunday school class, when we had to take in turns reading a verse and making a comment, when it came my turn, I was sweating. I'm just not one who can do that. And yet you can't help but read as a Christian that God says you can do. You are able. He is able to make you able. And all things are possible. And it's just so difficult to grasp that because our weaknesses really do control us. 
our flaws in our life, the way we see ourselves, the way we measure ourselves, and therefore the way we conduct our lives is so often because of our flaws. You know, how can I ever quit smoking or drinking or, or you know, I, the porno stuff or, or all the little things that people do, you know, I have a shopping, I can't stop spending money and I run up my bill and I shake my hands over this and I know I shouldn't do it, but I, I just do it. And when you come to the Lord, when you come to church, the devil constantly reminds you while you're sitting here in a quiet and comfortable place. The devil's always telling you what you're not. That everywhere God puts a period, the devil puts a question mark. And he wants you to think in the terms of what he's saying in verse 14, a natural man. Because he said, in line with what the Spirit of God is showing his people, he said a natural man doesn't receive it. Well, he hears it. He's aware of it, and he thinks about it. But he compares what the Spirit of God or what the Bible says to himself, and therefore he tends to resist it or reject it. As he said in this verse, it just doesn't seem to make sense. It's, it's, in other words, it's foolish. It's beyond any reasonable ability I had to accept it. I mean, how could I ever? So he essentially or she essentially remains natural-minded. And the church is full of, they're good people. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about my ancestors too. Good people, but they have natural minds in a spiritual context. They want to think and be all that God says you can be, but they limit themselves with their flaws and their weaknesses and they just can't see how it can be. And somebody begins to insist that you can do all things through Christ the natural man asked the natural questions. Well, now, how can you raise the dead? How can somebody lay hands on somebody who is sick and they just get raised up? Or how can you anoint somebody with oil? I don't know what kind of oil they had. It must have been potent stuff. No, it was just olive oil. The same thing you put on your bread down at Johnny Carino's. <laughs> it was just oil. A bucket wasn't poured on your head like this. You were anointed with oil. Oil was applied. The word anointed means rubbed in. You just rub it on. But how could that make somebody who is ill well? What if they're really sick? Now, I know you can do that for headaches and maybe flu symptoms, but what if somebody has some kind of a, a kidney disorder or some kind of a terminal thing or some serious disease or, a, or a, maybe a limb or something is not right? How could you put oil on somebody and expect them to be healed. Now, because they can't bring that spiritual word down into a natural understanding where it's reasonable or sensible, it's rejected. They kick it out of their hard drive. God said it. You don't want to be in church and say God didn't say it because you read he said it. Yeah, he said that, but when did you ever see it happen? When is the last time you saw a miracle? When's the last time you saw the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, etc., etc.? When's the last time you saw it? Now, here's what the natural man says. We know that God can. We read that he's already done those things. But look, you can't just assume that he's going to because you're a member of a church or a Christian. It just doesn't work. Like the radio preacher one day talking about he wanted to debate all these 
Charismatics or Pentecostals who think that they can do all things. And he said, well, I'm going to fill the tub full of water. Let me see you just stand on it. To him and his natural mind, it can't be. I imagine he tried it. By himself with the shades drawn, he got in the tub and said, see, it doesn't work. Therefore, his theology is based on his natural understanding. And because he's a preacher, that's what he imparts to all the people. Until eventually, the parents and the parents, the children, that generation, and maybe the next generation, they won't believe anything God said. They'll just know that he could. And they'll satisfy their spiritual because they say, well, God is able. God can. But their life is a witness that he won't. Because they can't see how that could ever be with them. I'm not good enough. I sinned an awful lot when I was growing up. Boy, I did. I was loaded with wrong stuff. I did a lot of wrong things, went to all the wrong places, said everything wrong that could be said. And there's no way now that I could qualify for the richness of God in my life and go from the hall of shame to the hall of fame. There's no way I could do that. I'm just not good enough for it. See, that's a flaw in my thinking. There's a resignation of churches full of good people, a resignation to nothing more than what can be naturally explained or naturally accomplished. They have a hard time with how the church is run, how the church functions. They couldn't just see it functioning, being led by the Spirit, and God shows you what to do, and then you do it that way, and you just trust God for results. That just doesn't work. No, the church today, if somebody joins a church who's a businessman, you get him in one of the committees or programs to help make sure the church runs well. He would know how to do that. He has businesses. He has business associations. He has business experience. And somebody who can sing is immediately put in the choir. They don't even have to be saved. We're not talking about being saved or even spiritual. We're just talking about being people that want to be nicer and better citizens and good people so you, they join church because that's a right thing. It's a good thing to do. And consequently, you have a church full of people that don't accept the spiritual aspect of what God is doing, just the natural, and they organize it hoping that it works. You incorporate, you ask the government to please help us, please, please recognize us so that if the money we give, which is not to the Lord, but to our own treasury and to our own selves, that we can deduct that as a giving, and we will abide by your rules. As a church, we will submit to the long arm of the law. We will let you control what we preach from the pulpit about politics, for example, or about other things in our immoral things. You know, we don't want to offend people. And the government says, if you do that, you'll lose your incorporations. We have to abide by Big Brother's rule which is a common way of life in a socialist system. That's part of it. Somebody controls what they should not be controlling, whether it's insurance, automobiles, a medical profession, or anything else. But people like to be ruled. They like to hire the preacher that they've never heard of and don't know to come in and preach to us and tell us all the good things about us and the things that you want us to hear. Make sure the budget is balanced, the people are happy. Kiss the babies, bury the old folks, and you can stay as long as you want. 
Just don't ask us to step out and do something or be led by the Spirit because I'm not there. I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I'm willing to sit in a big church because you can get lost in a big church easier than a little one. I'm willing to sit here for 30 years and fold my arms and never amount to anything but be told I'm okay by some natural-minded theologian or some natural-minded manner of life that has been drilled in me since I was a kid. At least I can satisfy myself at who's better than us. Well, you can't say your way's better than my way. Who's to tell me that your rights are the rights I should live by? Or who says I should go by the Bible? Or who says morality should be based on Scripture? Who said, why should I have to submit to that? And everything is just shifting and sifting, and people don't know how to handle that. But in a spiritual system, when the Spirit of God gets involved, things really do change. Because if the Spirit isn't involved, you have what we call today a nominal system. You ever heard of the word nominal? Amen. Nominal Christianity. It's just a form. The word nominal refers to existing in name or form only. We're told even in the Scripture that if they have a form of godliness, they're not godly. They don't even count on, depend on, or really don't have a need for God. But it's religion. It's a religious system that should include God. We should quote the Bible. That makes it verifiable or true and accurate. But we don't need him. So we take things that the Bible says and things that are right, and we apply them to our service. We preach sermons, read from the Bible. We have song services where we sing songs and hymns of great men. We give money, and we do all the proper things. But it doesn't mean anything to us. Our lives are never changed by it. We're never affected by it. Nothing that happens makes me a spiritual person. And because nothing like that ever happens, it's just a nominal church full of nominal people. Didn't say they were bad people. I'm talking about people who know how to act, people who are polite, who know how to make ends meet or raise children or whatever. I'm talking about things that are spiritual. They don't really know that much about it. Either they had never wanted it or they'd never been taught it. But there's just something lacking there. Back to the organization thing, a nominal church really does want somebody to function in its behalf. A nominal church is a system of religious professionalists who are paid to function on the behalf of the congregation. We are told to come and assemble and listen to the one we have paid and hired to preach to us. And he knows this in the system. If you want to keep your job, you better tell them what they like. In other words, you better keep it on the level of the natural man. Because the message of the natural man is comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable. Make me happy. Don't upset me. Don't unsettle me. Make me comfortable. Yes, make me happy. I like this place. And you'll come back. When all of that translates into one thing, behind all evil is what? Love of money. That's how it works. And you get all of these things going, and one day the spirit of somebody gets saved, the preacher gets saved, and begins to want to undo all those other things. 
or begins to preach things like body ministry. Body ministry. What in the world is body ministry? Well, the church is a body, isn't it? Are we called a body of believers? Individually, we're members of one another. That in the spiritual sense, we're connected. That we're all a part of each other. We have callings on our life. We are brought together for a purpose of hearing the word, being inspired, God speaking to you, observing the ordinances, worship, fellowship. I mean, we need to do that. That's a part of being a spiritual person. Body ministry is when we begin to step out. In spite of the weaknesses and the flaws, something wonderful goes deep, the deeper things. Something goes deep in your life, and you begin to recognize that in Christ you really can step away from these things that held you down all your life. And you begin to take a step, and then God shows you something, and then you're willing to say it. Or call somebody and say, the Lord showed me something. Or the gifts of the Spirit, whatever those things are. You know, they were only for the first century. Those things that, you know, like healing and miracles. Those things that, you know, we don't need that today. We don't need healing today. We don't need gifts of healings today. We got medicine. They're not free. And the gifts are, well, we know that worked then, but, you know, that doesn't work today. Begin teaching on it. Gifts of healings, workings of miracles, discerning of spirits, words of knowledge and words of wisdom or some spectacular gift of faith. You begin teaching on these things and the people who hear it who have never surrendered to the possibility of those things ever happening in their life, they begin to listen to that. And on some occasions, it did with me, it did with a bunch of you, you begin to realize that this can be. Maybe the person you're sitting beside says, nah, but it didn't work that way with you. God singled you out to believe this. And you begin to see it. And you wanted it. So you begin to search the scriptures to learn more about it, to acquaint yourself with all of these things and make sure you're getting it right and you didn't hear it wrong and take what you heard and, and make sure you heard it right, to get it right. I mean, maybe nobody else is doing this, but for some reason you are. God has his hand or his finger was pointed at you, so you begin to study these things. And you begin to see, the more you study, the more God enlightens you or illumines you about things. And you begin to see things you've never quite seen before. And you begin to think like, you know, I can do that. Why has this never been done? Why are these gifts never operated? Why, 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 why? Why is everybody paying somebody to minister? Why can't we not minister ourselves? Why do we have to hire a preacher? Why can't we believe God to raise one up that we know? Why do we have to go find one? But people sitting there are almost appalled. Brother Tom, do you know what you said? There's no seminary in here. Uh, how can somebody be a minister without a, some kind of a, of a degree? Well, it took me a while to get mine. I understand that part. <laughs> Moorhead didn't offer a degree in ministry. I wouldn't have taken it if they had a but. It's just hard for a natural man to see that God can do things like he did in the Bible. 
that God can affect those people that are interested, who are learning, who are seeking, who are desiring spiritual things, that God can actually affect their hearts and make them want to step out. All the flaws in this room, all the weaknesses, things that hold us back. Oh, I can't. I'm afraid. Oh, what if they laughed at me? All of that stuff begins to pale in light of an earnest seeking after God. This power of God begins to settle in your life in in a way that, that these things begin to lose their grip. And a man begins to agree with God. For the first time in his life, he wasn't taught this from the pulpit. He might have heard about it, but he began to search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. And as he began to search the Scriptures and learn about these things, he began to lose his nominal mentality. And he says, as I'm sure in one form or another I did many years ago, I don't want to sit in this church the rest of my life and be like the people in the back of the church that I've known all my life. They run the church. I work at the gas station in town where they all buy their gas. I know what they talk about. I know what kind of jokes they laugh at. I use bad language in front of them. Nobody's ever corrected me of all those pillars in the church. They're all dead. They're just men that were taught how to do the right thing in the natural world, to organize the church like a business and have this and do this and appoint this and appoint that and hire one of these and go get one of them. Yeah, I'll do that. We'll take care of you. I was born again in that place. How could that be? A basketball coach, hometown boy. (laughs) That was a big problem I had. How could I ever be anything but what I am? In my hometown, everybody knows me, so quit trying to be anything else. And it happened. June the 30th, 1968, five minutes till 12. I made my way out of the pew and went forward to be saved. You know, I'd already accept the fact that I've joined the church. I've been baptized up front in the big tank in water. I had been greeted at the door. Therefore, I can now take communion each Sunday. That's church. I was a nominal believer. I had a form. I didn't have a clue about the power of it. I didn't care. Neither did the preacher. Neither did anybody else. The Bible didn't matter. But in the midst of that kind of a system, God saved me and begin to turn things around and begin to deal with me about things in my life I was well aware of, but I was bound by it. I remember when Jesus, the first sermon he ever preached, the first message he ever preached, he said he'd come to set the captives free, free from traditions, free from human frailties and human weaknesses and all the arid areas of our personality that dominated us and prevented us and kept us down and all the oppression and the depression and all the things that were weights and burdens on our lives that just suppressed us and kept us from ever stepping out and doing anything. Preach, I could never preach. I stutter. Nobody who stutters can preach. 
The only way a stutterer can speak without stuttering is to sing. What kind of sermon would that be? What if I had to sing my whole sermon? Now this morning, would you turn to chapter... Well, you wouldn't be there long. So there was a resignation. I can't. But he kept leaning on me. I quit. And then, no, I can't. I'm not going to preach anymore. (laughs) And next thing you know, I'm preaching every week. Stuttering every time. Every time I preach. Hung up on words. Watching people on occasion bow their head and go. I used to make fun of myself because I was so whatever about myself. I didn't want to hide it. I still don't hide things. I want to get it out. Got nothing to hide. Weak, yes. Frail, yes. Inapt at time, yes. Yes, 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 all of them. But I can do all things through Christ. When he starts the clock, it works. When he hits the button, it works. I don't care who you are, how weak you are, how frail you are, how shy and backward you are. It doesn't matter. When he hits the switch, you are more than anybody else who tried to do that. Nobody else could do it like you did because God is the one who makes all of this work. Now, the devil has for years and centuries played on our weaknesses. And has played on our inabilities. And has caused us to be ashamed of even trying. That if you want to be spiritual, the natural man says, if you want to be spiritual, you have to go to a seminary, a university, or a school somewhere that teaches you how to be spiritual. And you cannot teach anybody how to be spiritual. It is impossible to teach somebody how to be spiritual. You can't teach something that only God can make. But the warped mind of a natural man thinks that you can because if you make it sound pretty good and you can be a very eloquent speaker and sound wonderful, they assume that it's spiritual. People love that. Boy, the devil uses that not only to make the church a dead place, but just to corrupt it, make it not come against the world because the world is in it. It's a system run like the world. It's got preachers who play the world's game. And the local pastor, when he's built this one up good enough, another church wants him, and he drops that congregation like a bad habit because he's not committed to them. He's committed to himself. It's like anybody else that wants to better himself. The bigger the job, the bigger the offering, the bigger the money, or the bigger the parsonage. I mean, he uses whatever he can as a stepping stone to get to the big house. And everybody knows that's how you do it. Everybody thinks it's all right because that's all we've ever known. But God comes along and he says, there is such a thing as charismatic worship. There is such a thing as the right way, which is not at all the same as the old way. Well, how can we ever change? How can any of these things ever be? What's the remedy for all this? There's three things I want to share this morning. Three things that remedy this deadness, this weakness, and these flaws. One is the new birth. That's where you start. If any of you men are going to preach in here someday, one of your best messages has got to be the new birth. John 3, 3. Ye must be born again.
It doesn't say you ought to be. It was be best if you were. It says you must be born again. Do I believe everybody who is a member of a church or attends a church is born again? No. But I don't believe they're bad people either. But being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. Being a nice, accomplished, sincere, passionate person doesn't get you to heaven. You must be born again. I know people talk about, especially politicians, yeah, he's a born-again Christian, born-again Christian, born-again Christian. It's just a term. But the new birth signals a new beginning. This is the kind of person, if I could use it this way, this is the kind of person I was. The kind of person I am, all the trash and all this stuff. One day, from heaven, God deposited in me eternal life. His spirit. He said, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Peter speaks of this as the nature of God. The divine nature is put in you. It's like a well of salvation that you can drink from. This divine nature on the inside of you is where you get your strength. It's God in you, the hope of glory. Does the Bible say that? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Your life changes. You may struggle with a lot of things, but you never go back to the way you were because you're a new creature in Christ. New creature. Oh, I'm well aware of my past, and I'm well aware that I've been forgiven of all of it. But the devil can't take me back there anymore and condemn me for yesteryear because I have been forgiven. I truly repented of my sins. I truly said to God, I hate what I did. I am ashamed of what I've done. I loathe myself as a person that I am so weak and insensitive and I'm a horrible person. I see it more than I've ever seen it before. And I abhor myself. Remember the publican could not so much as lift up his eyes unto God. When he saw himself as God sees him. And don't think for a minute that God looks at religious activity with pleasure. Anything that's not done the way he wants it done is vanity. Remember that church in Revelation? We have done this and we have done this and look at what we have. We don't really need anything. We have arrived. And God said to them, you don't know that you are weak. You're naked. You're blind. You're miserable. In his sight, there is nothing about what you're doing that is acceptable to him in that old dead system. And how that must sound to people who were the same place that I used to be many years ago in the Christian church. Not every church was like mine. The one I was in was like that. And we were just dying. My parents were dying. My sister was taken from my parents. My parents were involved back and forth with each other. Their ancestors all died because of they couldn't trust God. No preacher ever taught him how to do that because he wasn't sure you could, and so he didn't either. 
The people just came to a religious place was like a creek bed with no water, just a dry branch. Or at best, a swamp with mosquitoes. No living, fresh anything there. And when God turns you around and brings you through all of that, one day, by an act of God, he opens your eyes. And for the first time in your whole miserable life, you see that you can be a Christian, that you can be his. But then the devil says, no, you can't. Remember back in college when you, oh, God. Remember back in college and you did this? You remember that time, you and your buddy? You remember that? Or you remember that time when you said this? Remember a time when you did this and you did that? And now you're going, whoa, 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 time out. And now you're going to just step out of your pew and go to heaven? Give me a break. How could anybody as bad as you, send as much as you have, come out of that rat hole you grew up in? How are you now going to be right with God because you say, I receive or I'm sorry? How can that be? There's people sitting in pews that need to get saved who can't because they see themselves as unworthy of all of it. And you are. Oh, God. But somehow, it's divine, God broke through. And he made that invitation become personal right into my heart. And standing there... No voices, nobody said anything, but realizing it was a reality that was in my heart. God would forgive me. God would remove all those sins that I am going to be judged by if I will repent of those things and turn my life to Jesus Christ and ask him not only to forgive me, but to save me. And he not only will forgive me, but he will remove all the penalty that you were due. He'll forgive you. He will accept you. The car chaser. You know what a car chaser is? A dog. He will accept you into his eternal habitation to stand alongside all the saints of yesteryear, the great ones. You stand right with them because God is no respecter of persons. How can this be? It can be because the Almighty alone revealed it. The Spirit searches. Doesn't He search? Do you as a Christian ever get convicted about your lazy lifestyle? Did I spit? Are you ever convicted about your too often indifference? you got to be careful because... If you're born again, you're not like that anymore. You're not like that anymore. Why? Because God changed your nature. You're a new creature in Christ. This up and down nominal Christianity is a farce. If you're born again, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, God says, all things become new. You walk in newness of life now. You have something inside of you which really is like a deep well. All your needs, everything you'll ever have to need in your life is given to you in Christ. 
called precious promises. Didn't he say something like that in 2 Peter 1? Y'all remember that? That by these you might escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. What do you mean by the His promises. They flow from the stream of life. It's the grace of God revealing to you something you could never see before. They were always foolishness to you before. They were always too far-fetched for you before. You always rejected before because you couldn't see any evidence in anybody else. But now, God opens your eyes. Maybe the only one in the church. That makes you the Lone Ranger. You're all by yourself now with new life, and the whole crowd is trying to get you to stop. That's why we had to leave it. Pull out of it and regroup. I came to this town many years ago because of that. I left it, and then they came back. Must have been Shelbyville was a strong place. But I'm glad to say that God was able to break through all my resistance and all the hard-headedness and stuff. thought you said you were a new creature in Christ. And the old, old, yes, 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 yes. But you've got to realize all those old ways you used to think, all those old ways you used to make decisions, your choices, all that has to change, doesn't it? Let's go back for the 3,615th time. Be not fashioned according to this world. This is Romans 12, 2. Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That doesn't happen in a day or a week. That's a process. You get the mind of Christ, but the one you sinned with and the one you choose righteousness with has to undergo the process of transformation. It does. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can now prove what the will of God is. You don't have to take anybody's word for this anymore or depend on somebody to tell you what it is. You can find out for yourself because the more your mind is being cleansed of its old way and you begin to put down the no's and I can'ts and not me's, you begin to see that God is calling you to step up as an ambassador of his, carrying his light and his spirit and the walk in newness of life. And all these things that have plagued you in the past, he will identify them to you, and then you must make that quality decision, draw that sword, and resist and overcome all the things that try to hold you back. Because you're born again. If you just join church and you become part of the group or part of the system, you can't do that. You can go forward once every two years and cry and, oh, God, I know I need to do better. And be so sincere with it. Oh, I just can't. But when you get out of there in a couple of days, you're back to the old ways, doing the same old stuff. Your life never changes. Twenty years later, you're the same old hard head you were 20 years ago. The same weaknesses and flaws you had 20 years ago have never changed. You're just sorry you do that. You weren't sorry before, but you are now. Oh, I don't know why I do this. I prayed with a guy one time. He prayed such a sincere prayer. I was just convinced that it was real, but it wasn't real. Oh, he carried on, needed handkerchiefs and everything. 
just cried, poured out his heart, couldn't give up his girlfriend. Couldn't. Wouldn't. Or maybe his music or his pot. People who smoke pot like to listen to noise. It's not music, it's noise. It's just things that control people, that once you're born again, you can break free. He wasn't born again. He knew about it. He just wasn't willing to do it. But folks, you cannot tell me that the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, could not come down and touch your heart in such a way that you're a changed person forever. Forever. That you never go back to that old trash. Once his seal is on you, you're his. Now, the closest you can get is backsliding because the Bible speaks to that, but he'll never let you go. He will keep you because you're born again. That's one thing. You've got to start there. You can't do it any other way. You've got to be born again. You've got to repent of your sins. And if you're not born again this morning, while you're a nice person, we love you, you're a natural man, and you're naturally minded, and the things that I'm speaking of, you consider to be over your head or somewhat quite foolish. Just laying hands on the sick and raising it. That's kind of foolish. Nobody does that today. Except when you're born again and you think, you know, that can be. Second thing is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism that Jesus spoke of. This is a huge subject. The more I researched it this week, the more I thought I could preach a week every day for a week on this subject in order to get to what I want to say. So I'm going to let a lot of things just slide and say this, that one thing that the Holy Spirit does when he comes into your life is to re-guide you, to take you in a new direction, to empower you to go in that new direction and to accomplish the promises that are given to you in that new direction. It was such a big deal. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was such a big deal in the early church that like in Acts chapter 8, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that up in Samaria they had received the word of God at Philip's preaching, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they came over to them, or they sent them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen on none of them. They had only been heard the word. They had been baptized in water. There was much joy in that town. But they had never received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John went to them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. It was a big deal in the early church. Your Christianity is going to flounder as a newborn Christian at best until the Spirit of God takes his residence in you to empower you. He does that. Paul, having passed through the upper coast in Ephesus, finding certain disciples in Acts 19, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Why would he say it that way? Because that's true like that. Have you, since you believed, received the Holy Ghost? They said, we haven't even heard of any Holy Ghost. And then later on, after getting their theology fixed, he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. Oh, God forbid. Well, the natural man sees speaking in tongues as some kind of a phenomenon that will affect his business and his money and his associates and associations. 
There's a way about man that rules him in a wrong way. Why would a movie star belong to a church like this or this dumpy little building? Why would he want to hang around people like us who there's no millionaires in here? Somebody ought to say yet. <laughs> yet. We preach too long. We're not educated. We're not real cooth here. We holler at people. Why would you want to go to a place like that? There's better places to go where you can feel better about yourself. It's cooler and better and people are friendlier. I'm just telling you the way people think today is, is the flaw that's in their life that keeps these people from finding life. Finding life. When the Holy Spirit comes, he reduces things down. You don't need all those programs. You don't need all these talent searches. You don't need all of these eloquent speakers from the big university. You don't need, all you need is to find out how God wants you to do it. That's all. Just be led by the Spirit. You can't be led by the Spirit unless the Spirit's there. Just be led by the Spirit. Do the things He wants you to do. There's two things about the Holy Spirit. First, our great need as Christians is the knowledge of the Word. The Word of God. Isn't that true? I come to Him, I'm born again, I'm dumb. That's why my mind has to be renewed. Are you all with me? I don't know anything the way I should know it. I know what I think it should be. I grew up like that, but I don't know how he wants it. Now, he gives us his word. only Bible I had was a Vacation Bible School 1947 edition I finally found. I never read it. I never carried it. People didn't carry Bibles to church when I was growing up. You can't be cool to carry a Bible around. Somebody might think you're spiritual. Didn't do that. We didn't even have them in the back of our pews in a Christian church. In fact, in our church, we had two pulpits. We had one for God and one for man. And on God's side, there was a big Bible there. It was about that wise. It was about like this one of mine. It was about that size. Print's big. But it was a great big Bible. That's where you read the Scripture from. And then the preacher would go to man's side and tell us what it didn't mean or whatever. I didn't know the difference. But I realized when I was born again that there are things here that I need that I don't know about. What does this mean? Preacher John, his name was John, said, John, what does this mean? And of course, he would say, I don't know. Well, he told us later on, after a couple of years, he said, I didn't know half the answers to half the questions you all asked because it was never important in seminary to ever study such a thing. We didn't study the Bible. We studied what people said about the Bible. We quoted other people who quoted the Bible. We didn't have to know what things said. Greek, Hebrew, that stuff wasn't important. But boy, when you're born again, you think, what does that mean? How do we understand that? This book tells me who we are and what we can do. It tells us what works. It describes that we can be healed, that we can be delivered, that we can be free from fear. Fears. Delivered from all of our fears. Walking in freedom and without bondage. We can be like that. God's people, when they burned them at the stake, they didn't cry and squat. This is not right. I'm too young. They just praised God and died. 
it was that time of life, these were the people whose testimony still screams out. That a man in Christ is willing to do whatever comes his way that is assigned him. I'm a new person. My life is no longer mine. If you're born again, it doesn't belong to you either. You were bought with a price. You remember that? You belong to him. You have no argument with God who tells you to go here or go there or don't go here or don't go there or do this or don't do that or to give this or don't give that. You have no voice in the matter about opposition because you have been bought. You surrendered your life to him. You belong to him. Now the Holy Spirit comes along when you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes in to tell you how and why this thing works because it's the Spirit. Would you turn to Ephesians 1? You're not that far from it. Ephesians 1. Three books to your right. And the verse that I probably use more than any other verse in this church. We start with the Word. Holy Spirit comes to deal with the Word. Notice here, verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is his prayer. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give... You can't earn it, folks, that he may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, you know what both of those mean. Spirit of revelation means that what is revealed about God comes to you only by his spirit. There's no seminary training. There's no elite educational system that can do this. Nothing. Only God can reveal spiritual truths to a man. And if God doesn't do it, what man has revealed to him are lofty ideas about what seemeth right. You know what the Bible says about that? There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of those ways is death. What a tragedy to waste all that money and all those years on a system that is dead. But men don't know better. Well, there's a lot of preachers that are going to stand before God on Judgment Day and give a, a terrible account. That you used these people, you played these people, you abandoned these people, and you forsook these people, and you didn't tell them the truth. And they're going to be judged for their faults and for their sins. Verse 18, he said, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, and so forth. That's what God wants to reveal to you. But in order for that to be revealed, he says in verse 18, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, it means to illumine. It means to bring to light. It was murky at best before, but only the Spirit of God, the Spirit that reveals these things, shows you things the way God wants you to see it. It changes your walk. It just changes everything about you. You can no longer deny it now. You know it's true. He can supply your needs. I remember telling a guy years ago that I had a car. And he said, where is he? And I said, well, I believe in God for it. He looked at me like, you're nuts. Nobody can do that, but it worked. It did come to pass. He didn't have the revelation I did. God showed me that I could believe that. 
that I could walk out something that was always easily fixed with two aspirins. I could walk it out. And after walking it out, I find here 40 years later, I haven't needed the aspirins. I've been delivered. I can't speak too much of the wonderful revelation the Spirit of God gives about who God is, how insignificant you may be, but in his eyes what he can do in you to make you the kind of person he wants you to be. The whole world that rejected you in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, the whole world that has rejected you will have to take note at the end that God took nobodies and made them blessings. They're way above the system. All this world and all the rich people and the connivers and the thieves and the liars and the, even the idols. It was America's eye, even them. All of that stuff will all pale and fall apart when God sets up his kingdom to judge. All this out here that was such a treasure now becomes the damning things in their lives. And there are you. Seated with him in heavenly places, having been rescued from the miry clay, God loves you enough he not only put his own nature in you, but Jesus said he sent his spirit to you to enable you so that you could come above all this stuff, see what it's about, and rise up in simple things, and God blessed you. He delivered you. And when the doors of heaven are open, it's you, he says, well done. You enter into what I have prepared for you. You couldn't buy this place. You couldn't earn it. I can only give it to you, and I gave it to you. Holy Spirit makes this real. He's the one who makes all of these things real to us. Again, in verse 18, we ought to memorize it. The eyes of your understanding, that is, how you see things. How you see it, being enlightened that you may know, because the word know can be translated seeing, oida. It's a Greek word which means to see. The picture is to believe it as though you actually could see it. To have it so real in your heart, it is as though you actually see it. It's a deep convincing of a truth that you may know. Would that change your life this morning if verse 18 was an extreme reality? Would it? What about verse 19 and all the threats of tomorrow? Would this change your life? If you knew there was exceeding whatever given to you? You wouldn't want what the world's got because you know God's going to judge that. (laughs) You're content with what you do have. Holy Spirit becomes your guide. The one who leads you and guides you. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Way back in the back. 1 John 2. The Holy Spirit takes the word to reveal it to us. And this revelation of his word, this impacting of the Holy Spirit, this residence of the Spirit in your life to make all things new and real to you, we call the anointing. This is what John wrote about the anointing in verse 20. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One. And what do you know? All things? Huh. I'm working a crossword puzzle. I'm stumped on two or three of them. I'd like to ask you all if you know what the answer is. 
some peninsula up in Ukraine. Well, anyway, he says we know all things. It doesn't mean all things natural here. It doesn't mean you can just answer any questions given to you. You have within you the very presence of God who knows all things. This is the anointing. This is the difference between being nominal, natural, slash, or spiritual. Verse 27. But the anointing, which is the same word as unction, same words. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you. You really don't have to go hire somebody to tell you what it says. You really can be raised up to do things that God wants you to do that no man can teach you how to do it. Who can teach you how to prophesy? People try. Who can teach you how to raise the dead? That's one class you ought to attend. Who can teach you to do anything spiritual? Nobody. There's not enough money to be found to bring that into your life. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Nobody can teach you how to. Only God can give it. This resident ability, power, is called the anointing. Again, he said, The anointing which you receive of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, notice, you shall abide in what? What is him referring to? The anointing. You see it? The anointing teaches you, you abide in him. Who is him? Christ. You know what Christ means? The anointed one. The one in whom God endued with all power and all might is the same one who comes in to make his residence in your life. The same one that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from my Father, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take the things of this anointed one and he shall show them to you. Turn to John 14. He shall show those things to you, but you must abide in him. John 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my... See, the church doesn't have this. May I say this? Most Pentecostals gave up charismatic worship a long time ago. Very few of them ever speak in tongues. Very few of them do. They did once, but they haven't since. They don't know why in the New Testament people did speak in tongues. They don't know, hardly anybody does, knows what the value of the tongues part is really all about. If they knew the purpose of it, the value of it, what it accomplishes, everybody would do it. Like Jude 20, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. How do you pray in the Holy Ghost? Well, you read 1 Corinthians 14, he that prayeth in a tongue prays in the Spirit. It's the Spirit prompted the Spirit prompt words. You can pray with your understanding. You can pray in the Spirit. We do it both ways. Paul even said, you can pray over your food in the Spirit, and you prayed well, but if somebody's there didn't know what you're doing, he'd think you're crazy. I was with a guy once. We were all Spirit-filled. He said, well, let's just pray in the Spirit over this food. I'd never done that. I knew what it was about because I'd read it. But what we did, we just jabbered away. 
We got through and we ate. What did you say? I don't know. I wasn't talking to myself. I wasn't talking to anybody else. I was talking to God. I don't know what I said. It wasn't a message for a church. It wasn't somebody talking to somebody else. We were just speaking unto God. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. I think that's in 1 Corinthians 14, 2. John 14, 26, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom the Father Jesus said will send in my name, he will teach you. Let me ask you all a question. Who else can? Listen to me. Skillful men, educated, learned, mentally talented, verbally advanced men can teach you a lot of things. Only God can confirm to your heart the reality of spiritual truth. I may tell you what it says. I think I've stood here for how many years? 28 years next week. 28 years I've been here. There's a lot of people have heard a lot of things. Not everybody got it. Somebody did. God sees hearts. This truth is confirmed to some people. It goes over the heads of other people. I don't know exactly why. God is the one who does this. My job is to preach the word. Making you understand it's his job. I can't. I like to try. I wish it, if I could, you'd all understand it. But I can bat my brains out wanting you to, but only God can make it work. If you don't want it, you won't get it. If you want it, you will get it. But he's the comforter. Jesus said, the Father will send him to the church in my name. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth and will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said unto you. All the red letters. All the things that I've said. Well, I can say to you as as you would say to me, I need that. I need that. Oh, Jesus, I need that. And then in John 16... John 16 and verse 12, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear it now. Does your Bible say something like that? Now, let me see what he said now. Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you. Had he already said a lot of things? Jesus had been talking to his disciples for three and a half years, hadn't he? And he had said a lot of things to his people. The red letters. But then he said, I have more than what I have said to say. Then he said this, but you cannot bear it. It's something more than you could carry. And chances are, if I told you, you wouldn't acknowledge it, you wouldn't understand, and you'd let go of it like most folks do, and you'd walk away from it. So he said, I'm not through talking to you. I'm not through showing you things. I'm not through opening eyes and imparting truth beyond what I've already said. I'm not done. But then he says in verse 13, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. When he comes, what will he do? He will begin and he'll start teaching again. He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth, for he shall not speak of himself, 
Well, whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come, including the last days, the end time. He will make you ready. What's the Holy Spirit do? He comes in as the power you need to amplify, magnify the Word of God. The other day, my son-in-law, Keith, helped me put a little CD player. But to run the disc player, you had to have an amplifier. Whatever makes it work. And in order to benefit from this disc, this CD player, I had to have another thing that made it work. Because this thing, though it was good, it was no good without the other thing. So when you add the Holy Spirit to your life, it takes what is good and makes it work. Makes it come alive. And it's so good you can hit a button and just once you learn how to do it, it takes a while for some of us and you hit this button and it'll go to one and you go halfway through there, go back over here, hit that button, try this, raise this up, raise that down, do this. and well, Stop if you want to. <laughs> but it's wonderful. Jesus said that he'll guide you into all the truth. He will take the things that Jesus said and he will begin to show those things to you. And in the end, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Folks, the Holy Spirit is not through teaching. He's not through revealing. He can be personal with you, sitting on your deck in your car, out in the yard, shopping. He can speak to you and make it real. And that in turn makes Jesus real, which in turn makes you more the kind of person you ought to be. You've got a smile. You've got a tenderness, a gentleness about you, a kindness about you. You're not ugly and mean anymore. People know when they're around you, you're just a nice person. You love to sing. You love to worship. You're always there. Your life is all about Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are a needy people this morning. There is so much potential, so much that can be, so much that can be shown and realized in our lives. So much that we have limited. We've been taught to limit. And yet so much here, Lord, can make us the thriving, flourishing, joyful, exuberant, overcoming Christians that we should be. You said you would show us all of these things by your Spirit. I ask that you would stir us up, Lord, if we've never received the Spirit, that we would. If we've never been born again, that we would desire it. If we've never hated our sins, that we would. That this good, deep, final, end-time work of God would take place here. And I ask you to bless the hearing of all those that are here today and all of those who hear this message electronically. We ask you to bless us that way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? God will make a way When there seems to be no way He works in ways I cannot see 
Grace and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He will make a way. Oh, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways I cannot see.